Come on, put your hands together this morning.
we love you and give you praise today, God, and we thank you for loving us. Your love has made all the difference. Where would we be? We all needed you, and you came, Lord. When we, had, we were hopeless, had no place to go, no hope, you came and stood in our place. And this service, Lord, is about redemption and grace and what you did and what you finished on our behalf. And so we love you and we give you praise today. Could we do that? Could you put your hands together and give him a great praise? Hallelujah. 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 Wow, we serve a mighty God. What an awesome time of worship. We want you to just turn to that person beside you. Someone might have come in um, since we started the service and just welcomed them. God bless you today. After Jesus resurrected from the dead, he made different appearances to his disciples. And one is when, early in the morning, he shows up on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Peter and the other disciples were confused about all that was happening, so Peter said, look, let's go fishing. And Jesus asked an interesting question. He said, hey, have you caught anything? And unlike most fishermen, they were honest. They said, we have fished all night and caught nothing. So Jesus kind of gives them an idea about where to fish. They start catching all these fish, and it dawns on Peter that it's Jesus. And Peter can't wait for the boat to get to the shore. He dives out of that boat, and he swims to shore. It's early in the morning. There's no doubt he's cold. When he comes out of the water onto the shore, there's Jesus standing at a fire. You know how it is when you're cold and there's a fire available. You go to warm yourself by that fire. And coming out of that water and being cold and realizing it's Jesus and he's standing by that fire, there is no doubt that Peter's mind races to the last time he was standing by a fire. See, John gives a detail in chapter 21 about that fire. It says that Jesus built a charcoal fire. And the reason that I point that out is because the only other time in the New Testament where it talks about a charcoal fire is John 18, and that's in the courtyard where Peter denies Jesus. So now he's there, and he realizes that Jesus is recreating his worst failure so that he could apply his awesome, amazing grace. In John 21, it's the story where he asked him three times, do you love me? Compares exactly with what happened when he denied Jesus three times. Some people put the emphasis on Jesus saying, hey, do you love me? And the the depth of meaning of that word love. And then when Peter would say, you know I love you, it's... Some say he's trying to work Peter to a level of heartfelt devotion that he was looking for. But most New Testament commentators write, and and this is where I agree, is that you don't put the emphasis on the meaning of the word as much as the repetition. He is recreating this scenario, and three times he asked Peter, do you love me? Because three times Peter denied him, and he is recreating this Situation because until Peter deals with that failure, he can't know the future for which he was created. In Romans, it says that there is no condemnation. That's Romans 8 1. And if ever there's a picture of that unfolding, it is in this story in John 21. Can you imagine that kind of encounter with Christ? Where grace is flowing at a level you've never experienced. No condemnation. That's an amazing phrase. What is a phrase that you like love to hear the most? I mean, it is the one, when you hear it, it resonates at that highest level. That's the phrase you like to hear. We ask that question, we put a man on the street. To ask that question randomly, and uh, I want you to see the results. 
Hey guys, Jared Stone here. We are doing the Word on the Street right here in downtown Tulsa, trying to find out what phrase people love hearing the most. Here's what we found out. Hey, hey guys, can I just ask a quick question? You just say the first thing that comes to your mind. What phrase do you love hearing the most? Pistols firing. Pistols firing. Oklahoma State? Sure. All right, get out of my shot. Okay, <laughs> what is the phrase that you love hearing the most? Have you lost weight? Have you lost weight? The answer is yes. All right. High five. High five. Very good. Very good. Uh, you don't have to do that. I'll take care of it. Oh, that's a good phrase from, from your husband, I guess. For, from anyone. From anyone. Okay. All right. Okay. The question is, off the top of your head. Yeah. You want to hold it? In terms of words, what are the, the words that you love hearing the most? I love you. I love you. I love my you. husband. Okay. All right. Very good. <laughs> it's Friday. It's Friday. As, because why? Because that means the weekend's going to start. That's the weekend is going to start. Okay, that's great. Thanks, Megan. All right. Um, One Direction's awesome. One Direction's awesome. <laughs> that's like the best quote ever. <laughs> what phrase do you love hearing the most? <laughs> what phrase do you love hearing the most? When my wife says she's going to cook her chicken. There you go. Cook your chicken. Let's go hiking next weekend. Let's go hiking next weekend. That is the most loved phrase that you want to hear. It, pretty much. Um, it's going to be 80 degrees today. It's going to be 80 degrees today. You are a probably a spring or summer person, right? Oh, yes. Even over your wife, I'm assuming you're married, your wife saying, I love you and all that kind of stuff. You would rather go hiking. It's just not the first thing to came to mind. Okay. <laughs> okay. So what if someone said it's going to be 60 degrees? How does that make you feel? Not as exciting. Okay. All right. Thank you, Lauren. All right. Awesome. What phrase do you love hearing the most? I love you. I love you. <laughs> what phrase do you love hearing the most? It's dinner time. It's dinner time. I like that. What is the phrase that you love hearing the most? Silence. Silence. Okay. All right. Thank you. That lady that didn't say anything, well, she finally did. It took like an eternity, and she said, you got a raise. That's the phrase she likes to hear the most. There was an actual survey done that asked that question. I want to give you the results. The first one I think is obvious. First one is, I love you. Second one, I forgive you. I think that's interesting. That, that would be the second most desired phrase because we all carry either a, a vague or a specific burden of guilt. We've got to figure out what to do with it. Third, and I love this, let's eat. But I think it has to do with more than just food. I think it's about connection. And when I saw the results of that survey, I thought, that's the gospel. And you see it in John 21. Really what is happening in Jesus' interaction with Peter, he's saying, look, I still love you and I always have. And I forgive you. And then he serves him breakfast. As if to say, everything's all right between us and I have a job for you to do. I have a purpose for your life. I have an assignment for you. Your failure is not final. I have a very determined purpose for your life. What is your worst failure? Go back to that in your mind, just like Jesus recreated that same scene of Peter's worst failure. Because failure leaves you dealing with with a lot of issues. I mean, over in John 18, Peter's asked, hey, are you one of those? Like, one of those followers? No! He denies Jesus. Not once, but three times. Over in John 21, three times, Jesus looks right at Peter and says, do you 
love me. And he's allowing grace to work in Peter's life until after that encounter, Peter could be forever changed and he could move forward. Some of you are going to move forward today from failure that's kind of had you like a prisoner. Failure communicates that what you've done is like so personal, like you feel worse, dirtier, more deviant than anyone else. Failure has a way of talking to us. And it feels so personal and it feels very permanent. Like this is the way I am. And I'm never going to change. I can't change. What I've done is horrible. But it's impossible to really have a different kind of life. It's pervasive. It affects every relationship, your career path, holding a job. Life just keeps dysfunctioning in relationships and and what you try and accomplish in life because of the failure. A pastor that I know of, his little girl got in the car and something had gone sideways with her that day. She says, I always mess up everything. See those three characteristics in that statement. I, it's personal, always, permanent. It never changes. Mess up everything. It's pervasive. That's the way shame-based thinking works. Every day, Peter woke up. And remember the scene where Jesus says, Look, the rooster won't crow until you've denied me three times. And so early in the morning, as Peter has denied Jesus, the rooster crows. Do you realize the soundtrack of shame that's playing in Peter's mind every single day? Every He wakes up to a reminder of his worst failure. And we're no different. Different things happen through the day and that soundtrack of shame plays reminding us how personal, seemingly permanent and pervasive the failure is. We've got to figure out what to do with this. Where do we take this? How do we respond to this? We get an amazing lead in John 21 as Peter gets an opportunity to start fresh. It's like another chance. It's a do-over. If you're into golf, are there any golfers in the house? One. Let's meet right after service. It's a great tournament. Four, I hear you. In, In golf, it's called a mulligan. If you're playing casual golf, you're out with some guys and, or ladies, and you, you, you just spray the drive. Somebody in the group may say, hey, take a mulligan. That means just do it over. You know, we're not going to count that one. I played in tournaments where you could buy mulligans. And it dawned on me, you know, we're able to purchase a score that's not really ours. So I said, can I buy a mulligan, like 18 of them? Like, how many, is there a limit on how many we can buy? But you know when you get mulligans, you're changing the integrity of the game of golf. The rules are changing. It's not going to be an accurate score. Like if at the Masters today, when Bubba Watson tees off, if he sprays his drive and it's in the worst possible place, I, he's not going to say, hey, I think I'll take a mulligan. He's not going to do that because that would change The integrity of the game and the integrity of the game matters. The rules of the game, they matter. So he's not going to do that. So if something like that matters and the integrity of the game of golf matters to where there aren't any do-overs, then how is it possible that we get a do-over, a mulligan, when it comes to life? And the reason is because there is a God who understands his justice and his holiness. He understands the integrity of the game of life. So he made a provision so that you could live 
in a flood of truth that says, I love you, I forgive you, I restore you. I love you, I forgive you, I restore you. Because Jesus took all of our sin, all of our iniquity, and the shame that's a result of all the sin, and he took it to the cross, and there the one who was perfect became sin. For all of us who are so imperfect, the one who was sinless took our place, the place we deserve, the place that we sinners should have occupied. He took that place so that the integrity of the game of life could be honored and yet very sinful people prone to failure would have an opportunity to start again. To really know that you're loved, forgiven, and restored. See, because of this, the love of God has no limits. Let that get into your heart. There are no limits. Some people feel their failure is so unique that it has disqualified them to receive the love, forgiveness, and restoration. The love of God has no limits. The grace of God has no measure. When Jesus is restoring Peter, I mean, that Peter denies him three times. When Jesus is restoring him, it's like he's already creating the order of service for the day of Pentecost. And he's preparing the guy that's going to preach the sermon that day. Because his failure wasn't final and neither is yours or mine. His power has no boundary. The work of Jesus at the cross and the resurrection was so thoroughly amazing that it can take a guy like Saul of Tarsus who was the most anti-God person in New Testament days and so transform him that he becomes a preacher of the gospel. He he plants churches and reaches communities. He writes two-thirds of the New Testament. I, I, I mean, only... Only a depth of grace beyond our our comprehension could so purge a person having walked that path and then turn and use him as an amazing person on God's team of kingdom advance. I don't know your backstory. I, I don't know your worst failure. I don't know. As you recreate that in your mind as Jesus did for Peter, all the details of it. I'm just saying to you that that failure is not final because there is a God of grace who loves you, forgives you, restores you. That's the truth of the gospel today. What a mighty, gracious God he is. I'm no different than Barabbas, no less guilty than the thief. Traded silver as Judas, I've scorned and scoffed with these. Like the harlot of Hosea, barley, silver, wine, the price for his beloved, for telling love to you.
My story begins about 1953. My mom and dad had prayed since then for 11 years for a son. I was born January 9th, 1964 to a Southern Baptist preacher and his wife. From then on to the age of 10, life was fairly normal. Growing up in the church, growing up in the first family of the church, and then, at 10, my dad, being human, made a mistake that caused a father fracture in my life. He came to me, told me and my mom that he didn't love us anymore and that he was leaving for someone else. And at that moment, everything I viewed Father God as being crumbled before my very eyes and my very heart. After that, I started beginning to think maybe God had made a mistake when he created me. But you know, the Bible says, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. But I didn't really believe that. At 18, I began to go into a lifestyle that made me feel accepted, made me feel loved, made me feel needed. For 22 years, I lived out a life of complete darkness. That darkness included a life of continual drug abuse, drug addiction, sexual promiscuity, living a twisted gender identity, I decided, well, maybe I can change myself. So I began a process going down a path to make and create what I thought and what I was deceived into believing was the truth. 
I lived 22 years as a female, trying to be something God did not create. Well, that's kind of like a piece of clay arguing with the potter, saying, oh, you should make me into a teapot, not a cup. And from there out, I began arguing with the potter. Finally, all of my efforts to try to change myself came to an end. I found myself at that moment where I felt like I couldn't go back to church and be accepted because of what I had chose and created. And I felt like everyone else in the darkness was gone and had left me. So I felt like I couldn't go forward, felt like I couldn't go backwards. I felt like I couldn't go anywhere. About two weeks after that, I ran across an old friend from years before. She looked at me and she said, why don't you come to church with us, with me and my husband? I looked at her and I said, are you crazy? I'm not about to go to church. Look at me. Look at how I look. They're going to laugh at me. They're going to know where I've come from, what I am, where I've been. I may not even make it in the door or out alive. Who knows? I knew church folk, as far as I knew, didn't love people like me. But I'll never forget that first Sunday I walked through those doors here at the assembly with my two friends that didn't care what I looked like, didn't care where I'd been. They brought me down probably about 10 rows and there was four or five couples that turned around and regardless of what they saw, they hugged me, they let me sit in their row. And that service that day, I felt a love that I had never felt, an acceptance that was incomparable to any acceptance I had ever felt. At that moment, on that first Sunday, a transformation began and a process of change and transformation began that I would never imagine. His grace and His love overtook who I was and made me a new creation. That was four years ago. I'm so thankful for what he's done in my life. My prayer of my heart is that you will realize that God loves you. He loved you enough to die for you. You're not a mistake. You never have been a mistake. You never will be a mistake. Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. What that means is you never have to live with guilt and shame again. His blood washes you clean. It's a fresh start and he has a purpose for your life. He can use you. It's not over. It's not ending. It's just your beginning. He has a plan and a purpose for your life.
This is Stephen Evans. And four years ago, on a Sunday morning, he walked in. Brought by Paul and Christy, and Christy is standing right here. I'm so glad that you guys invited Stephen to church. See, everything fell apart in his world as a 10-year-old boy. And it all was connected to his, his world of being a pastor's son and going to church. The confusion of that thing sent him into all kind of issues that ended up in a lot of failure. And it's John 21 in the modern day that at church, a place he thought he could never go back to, that he'd gone too far, that he had done too much, that it's impossible to be reconciled to God and to even be included or accepted in a local church. In church, the love of God went beyond all of those questions and all of those issues and all of those defense mechanisms to his heart. And on that day four years ago, he realized that Jesus still loved him, that Jesus could forgive him, and Jesus could restore him. And here four years later is a new creation in Christ Jesus. And what he's done for Stephen, he can do for you. We praise the Lord for what he's done. Your worst failure. It probably goes back to a time that got very painful and there was a lot of confusion. And the enemy seized on that pain in your life and showed you another path. And it looked like it could supply the need that was in your life at that time. Acceptance and love and belonging. And your life went farther than you ever thought it could go. Darker than you ever thought it could be. More twisted, more broken. And here you are today. And the Lord is reaching out to you. Just like he did to Stephen. The way he reconciled Peter and John 21, Stephen four years ago. So many of us in this room, he can do that same thing for you today. Your failure is not final. Your sin is not unforgivable. Your life is not unchangeable. You get a mulligan. You get a fresh start. A do-over today. All you have to do is yield. Just come as you are, not looking for a way to change yourself. You let Jesus do that. You just come as you are and open your heart to that grace. Would you close your eyes with me? And in his presence, we're going to respond. Lord, I just know that you've used this entire service to reach to a very broken heart and a broken life. Maybe they felt it impossible to ever be restored. Maybe the failure and the backstory is even somehow connected with church. And yet they're here today. God, draw them. Draw them to you. That's what you've been doing in so many of the circumstances of their lives. You've been drawing them. Today's the turning point of grace and the opening of a process of life change. And I thank you for it. If you need that same change to occur in you, if you want to feel God's grace at the deepest level, if you want to know that you're loved, forgiven, and you can be restored, then I want you to find the nearest aisle right now and just come down here, down to the front, and I'm going to meet with you and we're going to pray together. Just begin to respond. I know your heart has been made tender by the Lord's love. God bless you, sir. Begin to come. Just begin to come. You know who you are. You know what you need. You've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You've never made that confession of faith. And today is the day. And I would like you to come right now. If today you'd say, I've made that confession. I've been saved, but I'm so far from God. That relationship has crumbled. 
various reasons why and you need to be rededicated today to the Lord you want to just say Lord I need you more than I've ever needed you before life is desperate for you would you come right now let us pray for you just find the nearest out quickly and come and we will trust the Lord for you I know that the Lord is drawing we'll wait just a few moments just allow you to respond you will not leave here the way you came sing this song and as they're singing if you feel that compelling to come just come and I want to do this as they sing here's what I feel in my heart Paul and Christy brought Stephen that day they were there for him and with him why don't you as they sing this song about a love so deep that it can wash over you why don't you look to that person standing beside you that you probably know and say look if there's any reason that you need to go and pray I'll go with you you won't have to go alone. I'll go with you. And if they say, I, I need that support, then come together. And just allow grace to happen all across this place. It's going to move in like a wave on the shore. As they sing, begin to have that conversation and come, if you will. begin to come. young ladies that are coming to the altar today. Come on down. Come on. Just come right on over and find a place. The reason I am appealing to you like this is because four years ago, this is similar to the appeal that I made and Stephen responded. And I can't imagine where he would be today had he not yielded to that grace. And, and I, I just feel we're always doing battle for the future. We're doing battle for souls today. And I, I'm so willing to do anything I can to help you come to that point of clarity where grace, where you realize grace is available to you. Where you don't have to be the way you've been. I, I, no matter how confusing, no matter how it's playing out in your life, no matter how the church has responded to that issue, we're going to put all that aside and say the love of Jesus has no limits. So just respond to that love. Just feel that tension in my heart right now just to wait because there's someone else. You don't need to leave here without just saying, I surrender. I surrender. If you felt the expectation that you had to change before you surrendered, then let me help you today. You can't change yourself. All you're going to do is just yield. You just kind of like put up the white flag and surrender. Jesus will change you. You don't have to change to be accepted. 
He accepts you and then He changes you. He loves you. If I'm talking to you, why don't you come forward? Let us pray with you. Just come. that's here and now may love that is so deep just wash cleanse forgive and restore it feels so personal and so permanent it affects everything failure has tried to be fixed as final now may grace change the story, change hearts, change that thought process. It's a new day. It's a fresh start. The past is not the future. The guilt is gone and the shame is removed. The sins are forgiven. And Lord, let them sense that assignment, that purpose that you have. They're useful to your kingdom. Their story is needed. It needs to be shared with someone else. Their story of grace. Their story of life change. They will never be the same. This is the turning point as it was for Peter on that early morning. As it was for so many of us on that day where grace gripped us as never before. We thank you, Jesus. With everyone with your eyes closed, I want you to think about that time where God found you. Where would you be today without Him? And I want this team to lead us with passion about the love that is so deep. We'll sing it just a couple times, and then I'll give a couple closing comments. But I think we need to express worship for a God so good and so gracious. And in your and out of your story and in your own way you give him the highest praise are you ready ready to give him your highest and your best come on everybody let's join together let's declare it love so deep and I want you to hear me before you leave, okay? This is very important. I believe, like Christy and Paul, who are willing to invest some time and invite Stephen, I think if we all would take that same action this week, that people would be willing to come. I really do. And we could just be very real about the grace of Jesus to make the difference. So I I want us to see how important this is and how every day matters, how every opportunity is significant. And let's not lose our edge to reach out to people. So you're going to get some information as you leave that 
could be a conversation starter for you in your neighborhood, people you work with. And let's identify, invest, and invite people because we're going to go for it again next weekend, Saturday night, two times Sunday morning, I believe, for just a lot of people. PSA, we celebrate every one of you and what Jesus has done in your life today. It won't ever be the same after today. You won't ever be able to forget what you've seen. You won't ever be able to forget what you've heard. This, you don't, and you don't leave here the way you came. You are not the person who walked through these doors. You know what? We celebrate that with you. Thanks for being honest. Thanks for being responsive. It's a new day for you. Praise God. I hope you have an awesome afternoon. God bless each one of you. You're dismissed.